Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Good evening, church. Nice to be here. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, it's Christmas. What do you talk about at Christmas? Uh, we know the story so well. You know, Mary is engaged to Joseph, and she's found to be pregnant with child, and they haven't slept together yet. And this angel appears and says, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Everything's okay. The baby inside of you is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's God's child. And so we know the story where the God is stepping into his world in the person of Jesus. But if you read your Bibles, it's interesting that there's very little details about the pregnancy. There's very little details about the birth itself. There's next to nothing about what the child looks like. And the focus in the Bible is on these two names. And so I want to do two short sermons today on the two names of Jesus. The first is that name, Jesus. You're given the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. I've just done a kid's talk, so I thought that at 7 p.m. we could use my kid's prop. So here's my kid's prop. What is this? Candy cane. A candy cane. Now, this is the legend of the candy cane. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it's a great story. Uh, in, in, in 1670, in 1670, in, in Germany, a place called Cologne, there was a, a choir master. And these services were so long and dull and boring and Anglican that they decided to, <laughs> they decided, the choir master decided to make these little, little candy sticks. And so he got this sugary candy and made these white sticks to keep the boys entertained, to chew on during these long, boring services. In the 1800s in Europe, uh, the public display of Christianity was banned. And so you weren't allowed to have nativity scenes. No crosses, no Bibles, no public display of Christianity. And this Christian was infuriated by that, said, I, I want to share the love of Jesus. So he took the white candy stick 
and he bent the top into a cane and went around giving these white canes to kids saying there were shepherds there and they, they met this baby called Jesus. Let me tell you the gospel. And it was the Americans, good old Americans, who decided in the 1900s that a white cane was a bit dull and boring and so they put the red stripes on to make it more Christmassy. And so this is the candy cane. But when you see the candy cane at this Christmas, don't think sugary treat or decoration. Just think Jesus. Just think Jesus. And I'll explain a bit more how Jesus is in this cane. But our first word is the word saviour. Because that's who Jesus is. He's not just a baby. He is a saviour. A saviour has been born. Uh, the angel says, you'll call him Mary because he will, uh, you call him Jesus, right? Because he will save the people from their sins. Now, everyone in this room tonight needs saving from something. You might need saving from a really bad relationship. You might need saving from financial crises. You, you might need saving from loneliness or depression or despair. Everyone in this room tonight have things they need saving from. And we always look to people and we put people on a pedestal and think that people can save us from all our problems. Now, when God stepped into the world in a person of Jesus, he never promised to save you from all your worldly woes. He never promised to save you from despair or desperation or from sickness and from suffering, but he did promise this. He promised to save you from your, from your sins. And when you hear the word sin, please don't think naughty things or the list of wrong things that you do. A sin is this, this heart attitude that says, I don't really need God and I know better than God and I'll do life my way. It's that attitude of sin in your heart where you think you know best. And that's why Jesus stepped into the world, to save you from your sins. It's a bit like when you've got peeling paint in your house. And if you've got peeling paint, you might just scrape off the, the peeling paint and get your new paint and paint over that spot there. It looks lovely for a while until that peeling paint starts again. And if you bother to look behind the wall, you, you might have found that the leaking pipe, and the leaking pipe is actually the, the, the real issue, the real problem, not the surface level peeling paint. And most people go through life looking at all the surface problems, the peeling paint problems, and there are many. We live in a crazy world of war in Gaza and Ukraine and terrorism and hatred and hurts and fighting and disappointments, they're all real, they're all personal, they're all valid peeling paint problems. But behind the peeling paint, each one of us have a much deeper leaking pipe problem, a heart problem called sin. And that's why Jesus came into the world, to, to deal with your problem called sin. This is where the candy cane comes in. Because white in the candy cane is the color of perfection or purity. White is the color of righteousness. White is the color of Jesus. Because I could ask you to raise your hand in this room tonight if you've never, ever sinned. 
And none of us would put our hand up because none of us here are perfect. But Jesus was perfect because he was God. He grasped that as a baby, as a toddler, as an adolescent, and as an adult, he never sinned. Never said, did, or thought anything that was wrong. Never lied, never lusted, never got angry. Always kind, always gracious, always good. That's who Jesus is. The the Bible says that in him there was no darkness, John chapter 1. The Bible says in 1 Peter that there was no deceit in his mouth. There was no sin in him. And, And even when they crucified him, the people said, why? What has this man done wrong? And so we've got this this perfect man called Jesus who stepped into this world to live the perfect life. Now, your color and my color is not white. You ever been to Bunnings Warehouse and got those samples of of white paint? And there are a million shades of white, all slightly different. And if you take that little sample sheet, it looks white until you put it next to the pure white. And against the pure white, it's it's sort of off-white. It's not quite white. And no matter how good you are in this room tonight, you're not perfect. You're off-white. And that's the problem. We're going to stand before a holy God, and none of us deserve to stand in his presence because we're not perfect. And that's where the red comes in. Because red is the color of blood. And that baby who was born in a cradle was led to a cross. And that baby who was born in a barn shed his blood. And he shed his blood for me and for you. If you've never understood why Jesus came, it's really quite simple that, that he chose to die in your place and my place. He chose to shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven because that's the way that God forgives sins is through blood being shed. Back in the Old Testament, there's a great story in Exodus where where God wanted to save his people. And so he said to his people, why don't you sit down and have a nice roast lamb lunch? But before you cook the lamb, I want you to get the blood of the lamb and put the blood around the doorpost of your home. And it sounds really odd. So you put the blood of the lamb around the doorpost of your home, then you sit down to have your nice lamb roast. But when God sees that you have put the blood of a lamb over your doorpost, he will pass over your house. He will spare you from death and he'll save you. And the same thing is happening with Jesus. It's not the blood of a lamb. It's the blood of a person called Jesus Christ. And he steps into this world not just as a baby, as a savior to shed his blood so that you and I can be fully forgiven and fully saved and fully accepted by God. And that's why I adore Jesus, because he's my savior. I know I'm not perfect. You know, if someone filmed my life, everything I said, thought, and did, and and showed it to you tonight, I would be horrified. And you'd be horrified too. I need to be forgiven, and Jesus is my savior. He's the one who forgives me. And so I can stand here tonight confident I'm fully forgiven because of Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight and you're carrying guilt and you're carrying shame and you're burdened by things that you have done that that you you can't forgive yourself for and you think that God can't forgive you. God has forgiven you. God can forgive you. That's why Jesus came. 
And so this Christmas is a great Christmas to hand over those burdens and hand over that guilt and hand over that shame to the person called Jesus. Because that's why he came, to be your personal savior. We'll call him Jesus because he'll save you from your sins and from my sins. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we've met Jesus as... Our Saviour, our second word for us tonight is Jesus is our shepherd. Uh, it says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You're, you're, you call him Emmanuel. It's a beautiful name, Emmanuel. It means God with us. Not God distant, not God distracted, but God present and God personal and God beside you. But when Jesus walked on earth, uh, he called himself the shepherd the shepherd who be with you to guide and to guard and to direct and to provide. And I want to unpack that analogy of what it means for Jesus to be your shepherd this Christmas. Not, not just your saviour, he is that, but he's also your shepherd. And I want us to walk through Psalm 23. It's a beautiful psalm, just line by line. It starts with these words. It's on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. The word for Lord there is Yahweh. He's the, the gracious, the compassionate, abounding in love kind of God. That, that's, that, that's who your shepherd is. He's gracious, compassionate, kind, abounding in love. The Lord's my shepherd. I, I lack nothing. Uh, literally, it reads, I have everything I need. Not everything you want. But in Jesus, you have everything you need for life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's a, it's a picture of provision, of abundance, actually. You know, everything that you own, everything you have, every breath that you take, it comes from his good hands. All of you is provided by him. He leads me beside quiet waters. He, he refreshes my soul. I love that word, refresh. He's talking about your inner being, your soul, your, your spiritual life, and you're refreshed in that. It's a bit like this week, it's been 40 degrees, and you know when you're sweltering and you're thirsty and you're parched, and you just, you just drink that ice-cold water, and it's that, that kind of, ah, oh, moment. That's what Jesus is to you. He's that, ah, oh, moment for your soul. Your life might be in chaos, but you've got rest for your soul. 
Because Jesus said, come to me when you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So church, why do you chase after all these worldly trinkets, thinking that they will refresh you? Popularity, possessions, fitness, fun, finance, holidays, homes, all these things that never actually satisfy your weary souls. When you come to Jesus, your shepherd, he refreshes your soul. He guides me along the right paths. Uh, Jesus invites you to do life with him. He says, let's do life together. I will show you the best way to live. I'll show you the, the right way to live your life, the best path to take through life. Because we live in this crazy world where Wrong is called right, and right is called wrong, and good is called bad, and bad is called good. And, and Jesus says, forget what the world says, listen to me. Let me lead you, let me guide you. I, I will show you how to have the best relationships, the best family, the best work attitudes, the best wisdom in life. Just walk with me, let me lead you, let me guide you. I don't know whether anyone here, actually I know someone here has climbed Mount Everest. But if you're going to climb Mount Everest, please don't be arrogant to think that you know the best path up that mountain. Trust those who have gone before you. Let them lead you. Let them guide you. But Jesus says, let me lead you through life. He invites you. Come on, let, let's do life together. And he guides you through his people. He places people in your life to carry your burdens, to... Rejoice when you rejoice and to mourn when you mourn. He, he places people in your life to, to challenge and to correct you. That's part of what it means to be church. Church should be a place where we guide and encourage and we help and we heal. It should be a safe place where you're not harmed. He guides you through his word. He guides you through his spirit. But he says, let's do life together. But the next verse is my favorite verse in the whole psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. That's Emmanuel. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can anyone guess what my favorite two words in this whole psalm are? Even though. Love that. Even though. Even though I go through the darkest of days, even though I go through the darkest of valleys, even though I get sick and I suffer and I'm sorrowful, even though I am depressed or in despair or in desperation, even though all these things happen in my life, because friends, they will. They happen to you, they will happen to me, but even though we walk into the darkest of days, I fear no evil. I won't be afraid. I won't be scared. Why? Because you are with me. You're never alone. You, he, you do life with Jesus. And in your darkest of moments, he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. He's always there. God never promised to spare you from trials. But he did promise to be with you through the trials. He did promise to walk alongside you through the darkest of days of your lives. And none of us here would ever choose the dark valleys. But often you have to go through the dark valleys to get to the green meadows. 
And in my experience, there's men and women who ooze Christ, who ooze joy as you hear their life story. They have often been through the darkest of valleys. Quote, when my husband died, the joy of the Lord was my strength. Quote, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I experienced this intimacy with God like never before. I could tell you story after story after story of people who have walked through the darkest of valleys and they can testify they experience the closeness of Jesus as their shepherd like never, ever, ever before. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the rod was the, the short stick that the shepherd used to, to fend off the predators. And the staff was the cane that the shepherd used to, to drag back the wandering sheep. And what Jesus is saying is if you let him be your shepherd in life, he will, he will fight for you. And he'll drag you back when you try to wander. It's been said that it's not that Christ is closer in the valleys, but in the valleys you realize just how close Christ has always been. And so with Jesus as your shepherd, you are never ever alone. It's his presence with you. Uh, the last verse. So flick on two slides. Surely your, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. That there's two pillars of, of God's goodness and God's love. Can you think of better foundations for your life? This is Jesus, your shepherd. He guards, he guides, he provides, he protects, and he's present with you. Do you know what the most repeated word in this whole psalm is? It's the word my. My or me or I. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He guides me. He leads me. He's with me. Because Jesus isn't just this distant, distracted shepherd, He's your personal shepherd. You know, I've got five boys, and each of my boys are unique with their different likes and dislikes and their different personalities. I, I don't treat my five boys as one blob of boyness. And God doesn't treat humanity as one blob of humanity. He sees us individually. He knows our needs, your needs, my needs. And I love that about Jesus. He is intimate. He is personal. So Jesus is your shepherd. One of my greatest privileges in life is walking alongside people in their final days or hours of life. And when you sit with people who are facing death, let me tell you what they don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about their holidays or their careers or how many homes they own or how much stuff they've accumulated as somebody is facing death, all they want in life, all they want in those moments is just to know that they are not alone. All they want is someone just to sit and to, to hold their hand and to not even say anything, but just sit and to be with them so they, they know that they're never, ever alone. And friends, it's not just when you face death that you need to know that you're not alone. It's when you face life. 
And because of Christmas, you can wake up every single day from the moment that you wake up knowing that you are never, ever alone. Because Jesus, your shepherd, he, he goes beside you. And he's before you and he's behind you and his arms are under you and over you and he carries you and he cares for you and he loves you. And he calls himself the good shepherd. He says, I, I, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. What, what do sheep do? Not a lot. They get led, they get fed, and they get protected. And that's what Jesus offers you, to feed you, to lead you, and to protect you, if you'll let him. So this Christmas, he is, he is Jesus, your saviour. And he's Jesus, your shepherd. If you'd let him be that, your personal saviour and your personal shepherd. I'm going to reread Psalm 23 in a different version. I want to invite you to close your eyes and just to let these truths about Jesus wash over you. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass. He leads me beside the quiet streams. He gives me new strength. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, guarding me and guiding me all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You've welcomed me as your guest, and blessings overflow. Your goodness and your unfailing love shall be with me every day of my life. And afterwards, I will live with you forever in your home.